Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who obviously doesn't need a giant spaceship set. <laughs> what do you mean, obviously doesn't need a giant spaceship set? I'm just saying. Everyone needs a giant spaceship set. Bu- just built right there on the beach, huh? I need it. I need it to be 500 feet within the next two days, and then I need to tear it down by tomorrow. This week we are talking about Eight and a Half, uh, the 1963 Italian comedy, drama, film. Uh, no, they are Fellini. Dramedy. Dramedy. Comma? Comma? Interestingly enough, one of the first working titles that uh, Fellini had for it was just comedic. Uh, uh, I like that one too. Yeah. Fellini's comedic would have been pretty great. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so this is uh, this is Fellini's, uh, by his count, his eight and a half film. Uh, he, you know what? Sends... I know he likes it, but you know what? His count's fucked up. His count is terrible. It's not really an accurate count, count by any means. He counts means. his collaboration with another artist as half, but counts yes. his short films as whole films. Yeah. that This math doesn't seem to work out. <laughs> Did he count his shorts this whole Yeah, apparently, yeah. It's, I thought that we were, is, that is six, six shorts, or no, six no, this films, is, two shorts, and and a collaboration. No, this film is itself number eight and a half. Oh, wait, sorry. So six but no, shorts. There were definitely, there were, there were definitely six shorts. Six shorts, or six, six, uh, six full lengths. Okay, it would two be shorts, short. which add up to one full length. Oh, okay, I misunderstood the counting. Yeah, yeah. then one half, because he co-directed. Making this number eight and a half. I see. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Fellini co-wrote this along with uh, many of his uh, common collaborators: Tullio Pinelli, Ennio Flaiano. <laughs> the more Italian names, the, no, let's the, just stop the greater now. the chance of. And Brunello Rondi. Uh, that one actually worked out. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, I suppose, semi-autobiographical. Uh, it is. It is very much based in. Uh, it is. What, it is. Fellini's life, but it's also... Oh, go ahead, sorry. It is is this nested, weird mass of a story about filming this story. It's beautiful. It is so beautiful. (laughs) It is... Uh, is, This is one of the most amazing things I have ever watched. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the whole movie is about making this movie, which which is obviously something that inspired a lot of other work. Well, no, it's about making another movie. No, it's about making this movie, Pat. <laughs> no, it's about making another movie because this movie is not the movie they're making. <laughs> did you see the screen tests, or did you fall asleep during that scene? Oh, I, screen... I understand that. I understand it, but the point is, is this? No, no, because he is make the the director in this is making a science fiction film. That is true. That this is, is true. not this... a science fiction film. This is this is. You know what's really weird? Okay, I we're gonna, this is going to be. Just like the fucking movie, this is going to be all over the map, okay? You know yeah. what this movie reminded me of the most? What? Okay. Because I, I was when I was reading about this, because I did a lot, uh, did a fair amount of reading about this, because how can you not, okay? <laughs> yes. 
there's, you know, it talks about on like the Wikipedia and some of the other places about all the movies that were inspired by this. But yeah. you know what this reminded me of more than almost anything? What? Fucking Hard Day's Night. <laughs> Understood. Understood. You see what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It, 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 which is a movie about a movie being made. Yeah. But um, and and but not really. I don't know. This is the same kind of. Okay, we've just. Yeah, I love it though. It is uh, it's beautiful. Actually, in in that regard, one of my one of my favorite films to uh, to uh, sort of take that approach to to get this background stuff and commentary on 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 what the film is doing. Uh, Revenge of the Tomato. I'm sorry, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. You know uh, the second, the second. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen it. I the only thing I've it's, ever seen that was Rotten Tomatoes, Killer Tomatoes, was concerned was the cartoon. Well, the uh, I know the, that the movies are worth watching. I just have never done it. They're ridiculous. And, well, that's what I mean, though. I mean, I and know they're meant that to be. Obviously, enjoy, enjoy how ridiculous they are, and I've just George never Clo- had the opportunity. George Clooney is in the second one. Is he? Um, he really is a very young George Clooney. Uh, but there is there is a scene. Uh, where they're all meeting in like the the pizza shop, uh, discussing how they don't have enough money to continue filming, so they need to start uh, implementing product placement. And immediately, everyone's got Pepsi's. Oh yeah, and that's perfect. They, that's perfect. And then they ride they ride to the big climax of the film on on uh, I think Kawasaki four wheelers. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> beautiful. <laughs> oh, I need to watch these movies then. Yeah, that's brilliant. Which, which is actually one of the one of the few things I kind of half expected this film to do when we suddenly see that like Ford dealership on the street right before his family his wife shows up. Yeah, uh, I, I I half expected some sort of commentary on on needing needing need corporate sponsorship yeah, more money. But, but I think I think that sort of level of corporate. I think uh, we're a bit early for that. Yeah, we're we're quite a bit early for that. I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, at no, least that. But it has everything else that like that in it that it could. It. Yeah, I mean, now, I think this was still a time period where companies were were actively looking to not be in movies. So I don't know how early. I mean, I think that was still a, I was still a television thing to do it overtly because obviously the Colgate oh, yeah. Comedy Hour is is way before this that's back right to but also but we're talking um, about there though is it, it it's a little bit different right because your your character in those situations oh jesus is a weird conversation <laughs> your characters do talk about the products but they don't talk about it it's not uh diegetic the characters yeah. talk about it out of situation yeah, what, yeah. what we're talking about is that that move towards it is a diegetic thing. like advertising where like oh he just uses crest toothpaste yeah it is a different thing but it's it's not that different uh you know that sort of that sort of overt corporate sponsorship isn't so different from verizon presents uh yeah but i i I would say there's a there's a world of difference there actually one of those things is easy to compartmentalize and one of those is not yeah because we're not but but still I think I think compartmentalizing is a different argument when we get into things like uh, like the news suddenly stopping the news to uh, talk about Chesterfield cigarettes. You're for right, minutes. it, it, it <laughs> is, and, and what you're using then is you're placing the primary information on the character rather than on the story. Whereas yeah. nowadays, you know, I watched whatever I watched uh, House of Cards, and like 
whether or not it was in, it seems like a, they say it wasn't intentional, but he looks, he starts talking about the PSP. You're like, what oh, the of, fuck of is going on here? Like, or, or, or the scene where he's just surrounded by like eight different Apple products. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and, and that's different because now the it is story is telling it's you this trying to rather be subtle. than, than, and right. And that subtlety is yeah. kind of somehow yeah. makes it grosser than if he just yeah. suddenly stopped, addressed the screen and said, I use exclusively, you know what I mean? So uh, somehow that's a good. I don't know. Why are we talking about this? Well, to bring to bring this, this back film. then. To bring this <laughs> back then, what I want to what I want to say is: Do we think that Ford gave any amount of money to have their logo prominent in the center of the screen uh, for for oh, a good a two really seconds? Really good question. Because considering the nature of this film, I bet Ford would have paid to not have their logo in the middle of that screen for two seconds. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about this movie. I think this movie yeah. is fucking brilliant. What I'm saying is is that Ford probably didn't think this film was brilliant. Do we do we do we want to spend twenty minutes unpacking Fellini's feelings about automobiles? Is that I, I you know, I who knows what his feelings about <laughs> automobiles are. Well, he did have that race scene in that one movie, so who knows? Well, we also had the opening scene. I think, I think uh, it uh, it's a further undermining of, uh, I'd say, modernity in film that I think uh, in society that I think uh, you know. Obviously, other films we've seen deal with that more directly, but I think the traffic the traffic jam that starts. Well, yeah, is this is movie definitely that. Is is that and and literally choking him to death until he flies away to escape it creatively, um, but, but maybe but it's just I think that's supposed more, to be representative. Sort of Who knows what he feels about actual automobiles? That even mm-hmm. even while he is in this idyllic, weird little resort space, that is somehow both a, a medical sauna and and seemingly a convent. Um, Adam, this is Italy. <laughs> it is Italy. Do I need everything's, to remind you everything that this is, is in also Italy. a convent? I forgot. I'm sorry. Like I sometimes pizza parlor I, and convent. <laughs> everything. Anyway, cell I think phone it's dealership. Just, and I think it's just it is just one more sort of uh, nod to the fact that this this modernization is always there. Right. I have no um, doubt, but he does that throughout the yeah. film. I mean, yeah, Ford yeah. dealership to us stands out very strongly. Because, because it's a who name I recognize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like he is bathing that shit constantly throughout this film. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, and that's just the way it is. I mean, like the the, the things he everything around him is that. But I mean it's yeah. not you know, because of the nature of this movie it being about about a thousand different things. <laughs> yeah. That's not our only topic. I mean, it's yeah. just one of many, many, many. Um I <laughs> un Dealing with this film is going to be very difficult <laughs> because oh, it's, one, it's just going to be impossible. But it's I love one it. of those things where there's there's so much to talk about; it's hard to know I, what to talk about. Actually, you know what? One of the things I do want to talk about really desperately, which has been okay. the topic I've wanted to, I've been thinking about this for about three days now. All right in my in my search for learning more about the music in this film, mm-hmm. because the music in this film is amazing. Yes. And in the mixture between the kind of modern jazz of Nino Rota and 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 the classical music is just gorgeous. And the only problem I have really is that 
I can't find a compilation that is the true soundtrack. I yeah, can only find a yeah. compilation of Nina Rota's work, which is great and brilliant, but I like that weird mixture of that plus fucking Ride of the Valkyries and like uh, and the, <laughs> was, and the and the Barber of uh, Seville and stuff like that. That's see, that's what it was. I couldn't I couldn't place the Barber of Seville. That stuff. took me about an hour to figure out. So that's don't get what me wrong. I, I played that into Soundhound <laughs> to figure out what that song was. <laughs> I uh, I probably could have taken that route, um, but I. Uh, I instead just was uh, was sitting there thinking, I know this song. Yes, and of course you do, up, and I, me too. Again, looked uh, like you did, looked up the soundtrack and could only find the Nina Rota stuff, which which is beautiful stuff, and I love all the music here. Um, I do love but the it's use... it's better when it's mixed with ridiculously <laughs> over-the-top classical and like yes. operatic music. Well, I absolutely... I love the use of... Uh, Ride of the Valkyries in this oh, it, it, it gets used twice, and the first time is uh, is such a <laughs> is weird that, that fucking sauna. It's beautiful disconnect from what's going on because of a whole bunch of old but and sick people perfect. just sort of just sort of milling around. I have lines. decided that no other use of Ride of the Valkyries, <laughs> and that, mind you, this song is used a lot, and in some of my favorite movies, yes, is better than this use. <laughs> Because like it that. is absolutely fucking ridiculous to just watch these old men and women like mill around a sauna <laughs> to just the most sort dramatic of, song you could ever imagine. Just sort of waddling. Yeah, exactly. As, the, as those violins start. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. Right. And, and then, then of and the it, way he and the way it blends into the Nina Rota stuff is really yeah. smooth. It's oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. That's not that's not that song anymore. Like, Ride of the Valkyries is uniquely segregated in that, like, it ends. And then yes. we move into Barbara Seville. But then after that, Barbara Seville just flows right into, like, the the uh, eight and a half theme. Yeah. And yeah. then it does that throughout the film. Like, that sort of just weird blending between songs is really smooth. And I think I think that happens the second time Valkyries comes in. It just Probably. Kind of... I, just, I don't remember that as well. When does this play second yeah. time? Uh, during the harem scene, when they start fighting. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah and that, perhaps, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, perhaps a, a little more, more appropriately, but... Uh, but not uh, as funny. Still... <laughs> I don't know, that whole scene that, that is so scene over is the top amazing. male fantasy. Okay, okay, so that's the thing I want to bring up, okay? In my effort to find this information about what the fuck the name of that song was... <laughs> yeah. I Sorry, a, a truck just drove by. <laughs> it's um, okay, don't worry about it. I... Started stumbling upon modern critiques of this film, which had which led me down an interesting path because this film is by and large regarded as brilliant, yeah, and 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 just loved in the cinematic community. But if you go looking online for commentaries about this film, nearly all the ones I could find that were modern, like as in blogs and stuff, mm-hmm. and modern articles, were hyper negative. Talking about this as an overrated, like, classic in air quotes. That, like, or, like, classics that that everybody says you should see that are bullshit. And it's seen... Yeah, right? Okay, sorry. And then my phone well, is I'm just, to vibrate. I'm just... Damn. As you say that, I'm scrolling down right? the IMDb page where the first the first one is People didn't enjoy this movie at all. hate this movie. The second which one is, is this rumination on, uh, on entertainment versus art, which is obviously that... That this movie is not entertaining at all, but it is wrong. artistic. 
Which is which is wrong. But <laughs> like it's really wild because if you go look at the internet, like just and I mean websites that I don't know super well, but I've I know of. Like there's commentaries about like how are we supposed to like we're supposed to see a a, a classic male uh like in power we're supposed to be feel pity for or something like and like and like kind of to me missing the point is that like that's that is the kind of the joke is yeah. his oh. his bitching and playing about his life is bullshit like yeah. and like and all these things yeah. and he's his own his own this demise and everything like that everything about this film if if anything in this film can be said of himself it is said with tongue firmly in cheek it is said exactly. completely self-awarely yeah there, there nothing happens in here that fellini is not aware that he, yeah. it is very obvious that fellini does not regard himself highly yeah and and has decided to make a film that is essentially a parody of him yeah and in doing so we should regard that any anything that takes place in the film for example his harem fantasy is him making fun of his own relationships with women and how yeah and how poorly equipped he is to handle human relationships and how Absolutely. shitty he is at them it's not a commentary on these women it's a commentary on him but yeah just go just go look at the internet go waste about a half an hour being like everything i, really, I found is like oh I'm this, this movie is bullshit like and it's like and some of them are like kind of weirdly pseudo feminist commentaries about this being like male power fantasy and and some of them are just like this movie's boring it's upsetting what? That's the thing. It's it's it, it is male power fantasy, but, but it's male power fantasy it, it, that, from a man saying like, yeah. "Man, I'm I'm a big fucking asshole." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in that regard, this movie is not a very feminist movie because it's solely about Fellini's view of himself and and his his mistreatment of women, and therefore it portrays that mistreatment of women because it's self-referential in that. Right, exactly. And, like, it's not meant to be a model, but rather a, yeah. a, a criticism of, of this behavior. And, and I mean, nothing just, nothing in this could be meant to be a model. The, well, the, I know, but, I mean, hey, if, you, no, if I you're going to regard I, it the way that, they are... That's the thing. I mean, when the writer first starts talking and presenting his notes... And I and I think, well, is are we going to be didact- completely didactic in in what the point of any any portrayal is in this? Uh, because everything he says is right um, about the movie itself, right. but not about art necessarily, you know? Um, right, and I mean that's a. It's just oh man, it's. I mean yeah, like I I don't know why what what triggered me when I like because like. Yeah, like is Fellini's eight and a half sublime or self indulgent? Like, is like it's weird, man. It's like really, like you can find good reviews, but you're mostly looking at reviews and like commentaries from like, yeah, fifty years ago. I now, don't know. Now, it's weird to me. I don't want to suggest that uh, that somehow uh, that anticipating certain criticisms. Uh, means that those criticisms are automatically invalid. No, it doesn't. Um, you know, when the writer says what stands out at the first reading is a lack of central issue or a philosophical stance, uh, 
you wonder what the director, what is the director really trying to do? Make us think, scare us. The plot betrays a basic lack of poetic inspiration. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's that's again. Uh, he that's is again the writers. What people the writers say. making fun of themselves, but but anticipating the complaints that are going to be leveled at the film, and they're still valid complaints, but. Well, so but uh, that's the interesting thing is that the problem we're faced with here is that that's assuming that the plot is what's key to the point of the movie. Yeah. It, whenever you say we need a, a primary philosophical point or 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 some pri- primary crisis or something, it that's assuming that the plot is what makes the point. Well, yeah, that's assuming that there is a philosophical point. That's right, but that... but there is one, but. The point is Fellini. Yeah. And in that sense, it is somewhat self-indulgent. But, like, <laughs> the point is him. The character is the point, not the... Because, yes, it has about a million different thing, you know, points you could derive from it, right? From commercialism to, you know, like, you know, the relationships between men and women. You know, there's a lot of things in here. But the main point is actually, wow, I'm kind of an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in that weird way, I think, you know, because it's kind of interesting. I read the list of all the different, like, sort of works that have been kind of inspired about it. And if you look through it, it's there's some real famous names on there. There's some real not famous names on there. Yeah. But one of the things that's kind of interesting about it is that, like, you know, I think in this weird situation, Roger Ebert kind of I think mentioned it in his discussion of the movie is that like none of those films does what this film does and I think a part of that is because a lot of those films to a certain extent miss that key element that is Fellini wants to take a real solid stab at Fellini yeah it's not it's not navel gazing at the process of filmmaking so much as it's navel gazing at the process of Fellini living his life right and <laughs> and 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 to a certain extent in a in in kind of the same way that reality television is fascinating for people watching a kind of pseudo Fellini be really shitty at his own life <laughs> is pretty f- entertaining. Yeah, he's really bad at being Fellini. Fellini's real shitty at being Fellini. And 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 to that point, we get some really beautiful art, born of the fact that this man is is barely put together. He is like, if we are to believe, that, depending on how autobiographical this is, yeah, which I think it probably is very autobiographical. I mean, it's own. When uh, people use semi, it's I think <laughs> semi is is a debatable. Level. I think I think we can we can uh, we can separate it. It makes sense if it is autobiographical. It's a very honest film in that regard. If it is, but if it's not, if this is complete fiction, it is still very much. Uh, it's still super a duper certain, entertaining. A certain tri- it is still an attack on a certain certain type of man and a certain it is. A type of and man Fleming that very much is exists. aware that he is that type of man. But you're yeah. right. Like even if this could have made, been made by another person, and it would have removed that extra la- layer of autobiography, but yeah. it would still be saying like this kind of guy is a mess. This per- and yeah. 
it it I I I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, there are some there's some bits that I was like, yeah, it's a little slow, like or a little unnecessary, but. Nonetheless, it gets the point it's trying to get across brilliantly, and the end is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> uh, and apparently, actually, it wasn't the original end. Yeah, yeah. About the about the ending, it, it it originally actually ended with him committing suicide under the table. Which I'm really um, glad they changed that. Oh yeah, really, really glad that someone convinced Bellini not to do that. I don't know how much I would have liked this movie if that had been <laughs> what happens. Uh, well, Having a been... fucking marching band of people wandering around that beach <laughs> is just a million times better. Yes, yes, it's beautiful. I, uh... I, 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 it makes me think like, I, oh god, it's beautiful. It's just, it is, it's just beautiful. I wish more movies ended in a way that just made me so happy and so fucking like, what? <laughs> Like, cause it, I just had a moment when I was, I was like, "What's happening now? Why? What?" And yet, it's beautiful. <laughs> it is pretty great. It's a little hard to differentiate between fantasy and reality. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that I, I did occasionally find myself going, "Wait a minute," and I, and I know that that's probably intentional, but I do. I do get disoriented fairly easy in movies and don't like that feeling that much. I think it's interesting, um, and I don't even know if it's purposeful, so I don't know if it's trying to say anything, and if it is trying to say anything, I don't know what it's trying to say. But, again, I think one of the things that keeps coming from this movie is it's not necessarily trying to say anything. Um, Right, well, yeah, that's that weird uh, thing, right? Like, you can't help but say something, but maybe I'm not actually trying to say anything. But every time we're introduced to Guido at a new age, even in that first scene, um, we don't see his face for a good long time. Oh yeah, in each of those scenes. That's uh, true. Like, we don't. Uh, the first flashback to his childhood at the farmhouse, and he's getting the bath, and he's all wrapped him up in blankets. We don't see him until uh, until he's in bed, and that's that's like two thirds in, in that way one, through the sequence. In that one, are they? consistently shouting guido um because i'm just trying to figure out if that's a thing or not because in most of the scenes when he flashes back people are just yelling his name all the fucking time (laughs) yeah um and i feel like they say guido a fair amount even in that scene well well yes because we need to establish that that's him uh so they have to there and we have to establish which character is Guido even when we don't see him. Because, right. because as a there's, kid, there's we're a not thing, going to just... There's this thing in the universe called subtlety, and then there's this thing that's yeah. the opposite of subtlety. And, and <laughs> having people shout Guido 800 times... That's definitely something that happens in the scene with... Uh, well, in all the ones where he is a boy and around other boys, yeah. it happens a lot. Yeah, well, well we're, when they're trying to call to him to get him to go see uh, Sarah, Sarah Gianni... Yeah, uh, Saragina or something. I don't know. Saragina. Yeah, that's. I think it's Saragina. Um, but that's the. Thing. But in other, because when he, the other scenes where he is a young boy, or in the school, I feel like we see the same thing happen. Because that's not the only scene of him at that time. No, 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 no. It's not. And, um, but yeah. But again, in that, you know, we start with wide shots, and we don't really see his face until. Uh, right. That's definitely true. Well, we Until don't. We see that there. statue instead. I think, right? When at that school and stuff. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Which was confusing for a little bit because <laughs> I was pretty far away from the TV and I was like, is that him? Oh, wait, no, that's a statue. <laughs> Like, he is not a statue. Fleeny made a really weird director's choice and like did a real weird shot on that kid. This is well, it was it was a flashback to the time where he was pretending to be a statue and wrote a spy on a boy's giant school. And, and, um, and at a school. Well, no, you know, I figured, you know, I wouldn't put it past Fellini from shooting a really super dramatic <laughs> angle on a on a little kid or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> You know, and uh, it's just, you know, it's the man. The man is a little weird, a little eccentric, I, to say the least. Yes, given all the other work we've seen of his, eccentric is not a is uh is definitely uh. It takes. A, I don't know how how he was financially, but it takes a really, really, truly amazing art artist to become eccentric without necessarily being super rich. <laughs> yes. Um. Interestingly, uh, just after this film, um, he was working um, uh, on a new film uh, produced by uh, Dino Dino De Laurentiis. Is that his name? I can never. I He's... I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, De Laurentiis. <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis is a is a movie pro- Italian movie producer who uh, we've talked about before because he produced. I I think he produced. Uh, La Strada. La Strada he produced. Oh, okay. That's um and Nights of Cabiria is is when it came up. But eventually later in his life he started producing uh Amityville two Jeez. and Halloween three Ooh. and Conan the Destroyer. Um, and a whole bunch of like horror fantasy hey, sequels. Bill's got guts to pay his bills, man. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, admittedly he did do Conan the Barbarian as well. Uh, Which, but I mean, but be, which is which is at least the uh, the first one, um, but he does he does a lot of uh, a lot of horror sequels. Um, uh, so his is like, yeah his his work is just eclectic. It's weird. It's it's very eclectic. Um, like his last he's he's produced every uh, every Hannibal Lecter film besides uh, <laughs> the original, besides the first one. Jeez, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but hey, yeah, man knows how so, to make money. That's so they say. had a movie they were working on together um, called that basically Hannibal Lecter Two. <laughs> no, I don't think so because it was 1968. Uh, where, where basically what happens in the movie uh, happened, uh, and everything just completely fell apart, and and uh, Fellini quit. Uh, and Delantis, uh sued him for a villa. <laughs> okay. For one of his houses. What a weird That's thing. What he, he sued what? He uh he demanded the houses as as a uh, payment for for the amount of money he poured into this because it it involved huge sets, uh, a recreation of a cathedral. Um oddly enough a giant rocket ship. <laughs> no giant rocket ship. But that brings that brings us back, you know. They they talk about the movie being. I'm I'm I am firmly against you on suggesting that the movie they are making in this film is not the movie they are making as this film, because I'm the basing ship- this on the fact that that I am uh, that both IMDb and Wikipedia very clearly say that what they are making is a science fiction film. Well, it is it is it is because they're building a rocket ship, but the rocket ship. 
the the rocket ship set is needed to be built for this scene in this movie. Well, yeah, as well. okay, we could so, like so what is it's, it? It's it's you know this, we could Ouroboros this shit all to death, <laughs> all the hell and back if we really want we could. to. Okay, of course. Anything but my point doing. is, we have to draw a line at some point. <laughs> Our Guido was trying to make a film. We do not know yes. anything about that film except for Guido, much like Fellini, cannot help but make <laughs> films that are actually about himself. Yes. Okay. And so we that, and we've hit that before too. I, you know, we talk about the autobiographical elements of uh, oh, what was it? Not in the ship sails on, but the one, the oh, one uh, in the village. Variety lights? Is that it? No. Uh, <laughs> Variety lights was a was a good one. That, uh, but. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the first one we watched, oh, uh, where it was like the four different little vignettes, oh. and had that great scene where the fascists show up in town and just oh, run. What's the name in of the, the march? Movie? I love that part. Yeah, I cannot remember the name of the oh, film for man. the life of me. I'm gonna have to look it up now, and yeah, you and, are, and bring this whole thing to a screeching halt. Well, you uh, know, let's just not talk, and you can just cut the whole thing out. <laughs> I guess we could do that too. Um, Oh god, I don't remember. But yeah, no, what I mean is like, yeah, but even like Amacord, Amacord, which you, he made yeah. in the seventies, you know. Uh, but everything. like even like Variety Lights, they all have certain things where he can't help but be himself in his movies. Yeah, you know what I mean. He can't just he just can't. And yeah. and so the point of that is is that like this this director suffers from the same problem, which oddly enough is the problem Fellini has, which is why Fellini's character flaws show up in this movie as well. This one I think more yeah. purposeful than those other ones, uh, for sure. But my point is, I we we do have to draw a line at some point and say like we don't know much about the film that this guy was trying to make, but the f- guy was not trying to make this film because that wouldn't. We have to either take a totally surreal approach to this or a semi-real, a semi-real approach to this, okay? Mm-hmm. If we go totally surreal, then yes, the film he's trying to make is the film that we watch. But that's insane. And can't be real. <laughs> Whereas, if, if this is a story that actually is a story, which it, it is, it is a story, then, that, yeah. then Guido is trying to make a film that we just don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> also true. Um... <laughs> And yes, Guido uses dialogue that he says when he's interviewing those things, but that's I don't know that that's meant to indicate that we're seeing this film well, being made. Well, I think but I think, rather, also I think we're fact. supposed to be seeing that 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 Guido is so deeply entrenched in his own films that like the fucking words he and his his the people he around him say are the things that show up in his films. So what what it gets down to for you is the difference between uh, those screen tests being an indication uh, that uh, that what we're seeing is the movie being made, uh, and more an indication that uh, that the reason they say the things that uh, he says and his wife and mistress says, and the reason that they look and dress like his mistress and his wife are because that he's so entrenched in his own life that he can't make a movie. That, that is isn't about him. About him. Yes, I honestly believe that that is what the film is. If it's trying to say I, anything, I think that's I think an accurate, that's what the film is trying to say. I think that's definitely an accurate interpretation. I and and then we get into this thing where you can have a nice little discussion about like life imitating art and that sort of thing, or the other way yeah. around. And the fact that Fellini himself can't help but put him in his films. 
and 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 Guido can't either. But Guido just can't to an even greater extent because Guido is a parody of himself. Yeah, it, it, it Guido has it to the cranked up to eleven to the point <laughs> yes. where like Guido fucking says the things and like his mistress says the things that they say in the screen test because Guido's life is collapsing in on itself. <laughs> yeah. Which again, you know, uh, another interpretation of that scene is, uh, you know, is it is are, are what we're seeing accurate representations of what the screen tests are. Obviously his wife sees herself in right, their situation absolutely. with the characters as well. But are they so blatant because they really are that blatant, or are they so blatant because that's what Guido is seeing? Right, as, and, as exactly. he watches this, is it another sort of fantasy? It absolutely, element to this could whole be. Thing? There's the possibility that that's a, a that a, a fantasy. I mean, yeah. his wife sees him, but it doesn't take much. She already knows. Yeah, it doesn't need to be that blatant for his wife to see it. Too. Right, and and he could very well be fantasizing. He yeah. could, it could be the surrealist approach that we talked about. It could be the more realist approach that we talked about. We will never know. <laughs> no, probably not. It's impossible for us to know. Uh, and that's okay. Because that's yeah. what makes it so much fun. As you spend the whole movie going, what the fuck? Is that is that real? Is that not real? Like, th- There's no system in place to differentiate between his, his, his fantasies and his reality. Other than the fact that as an audience, most of the time we can guess. Yeah, but we could um, be guessing wrong. He may have actually actually been flying. <laughs> I don't think probably he yeah, was actually know, but flying. You know, what I, but you know what I mean, right? Like the movie doesn't, other than him "quote unquote" waking up from dreams, yeah. we're not given a lot of indication that where fantasy begins and reality ends, and like how much of his childhood fantasies are, or uh, memories are real. Children, I mean, like f- memories of. Adults yeah. about their childhood are oftentimes super warped and twisted and, and, and mangled by their adulthood. And while it being Italy and it being the, the mysteries of the Roman church, I, I think probably uh, the scene where he's taken before the cardinal after dancing uh, with with what's-her-face uh, probably isn't all that, uh, or not uh, over the car- uh, cardinal, but there's that sort of tribunal right. that's all just saying shame, shame, shame at him. Um, and it doesn't really. His his mother talks about how she right. I mean, she is he has he has pro- he has yeah. compressed it down. He in his mind, if yeah. if that is Guido's memory, then he has just warped it to match what he felt. And and I doubt and that that's a, actually what occurred. But you know, I, I I accidentally mentioned the cardinal there. But when the cardinal does show up later in the film, and they're in that the bowels of the sauna. And we just get this sort of weird, like outside view of of the uh, the cardinal repeating in in slightly different ways each time, but just repeatedly saying there is no salvation outside the church. Um, right. It's this... a it's a it's a sort of like uh, probably that's not what the cardinal says. <laughs> it's like a compression of yeah, what the, what yeah, all that... you hear when the cardinal speaks is this. That yeah, that whole interaction is just. Is is bizarre. Right. Um, one really fascinating thing about this movie, and it kind of switched gears from what I said, um, but uh, Fellini, this was a pretty common practice at the time in Italian film, um, and one of the reasons that uh, spaghetti westerns look so weird. Um, but uh, 
but also something Fellini oh, liked yeah, doing yeah. is most of the dialogue. Uh, as far as I understand, all the dialogue, yes, all. is is added in post to the point where some of the lines weren't even written, and the actors are literally just saying mouthing random shit. Yeah, mouthing blah 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 or whatever, whatever the Italian equivalent of blah 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 is. Um, uh, well, I can tell you what my father taught me. Which is watermelon, 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 watermelon. That's what you. That's what you. Uh, if you don't know the hymn, when you don't know the hymn, just say watermelon. <laughs> it works. Just don't actually sing watermelon because then someone. See, I misunderstood on. that as a child <laughs> uh, and did absolutely see, sing watermelon. Yeah. Uh, that's your problem. <laughs> Dad was not real clear, and I'm pretty sure Dad thought it was really funny to have me just sing watermelon. <laughs> that's the that's the sort of thing your father would actively try to uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be to bring okay, about definitely. So. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's really interesting that, you know, some of the dialogue's not even written. So, so you yeah, go but into what, this... didn't it, Yeah, some of the things I read said that, like, he would sometimes write the dialogue after the film day yeah. of filming was done based on what was filmed. Yeah. Well, you go madness, into this... but hilarious, too. And it's it's this weird recursive thing because because then you have to have an idea... Of what you want to say in order to get the emotions of the scene right. Right. Right? <laughs> or you let the emotions demonstrated in the scene guide you about what yeah. you write. You just let this let Which this makes nonsense Fellini's thing. life just, just that much more like what Guido's life is. Yeah. In the sense that, like... Oh, if he's having a, if if two of the actresses are having a a, a fight, and it shows up on camera in the sense that like their emotions are still their authentic emotions are being displayed, then yeah. that's what fucking happens in the film. But of course, you know, I mean, like obviously he did plan shit because like yeah, some I mean, of this stuff is impossible without planning. <laughs> it just is. But I imagine it's kind of like modern improv in the sense that like. You know, if you look at any of the modern improv films, they have a general outline of what's going to happen. Yeah, you have points to bounce off of. Right, We're and then just... everything else is just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. We're not just hitting record and seeing what happens. We right, some because that's going to be bullshit. Because we need sets and we need costumes and we need makeup. So, Which which brings me back to a show I haven't watched in a, long, a while, but man, Quick Draw is hilarious that way. <laughs> It's really great that show. way, but like you know, that's the thing, right? It's like, in a certain sense, it shares this movie shares a lot in common. I think with that, with that, that sort of improvisation. Yeah, like okay, well, we know we're going to be at this place at this time, and generally, we're going to talk to this 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 priest. Yeah. Is he going to talk about songbirds the whole time? Well, I don't fucking know what he's going to talk about. Yeah, just get just get a whole <laughs> and bunch does of he pictures. actually talk about songbirds when you're there? Who the fuck knows? Because that's just what I wrote after it was over. Yeah, I just need I just need you to stare off into space for a little bit, and I'll record each of you staring off into space and just and mumble. We'll, we'll see what I do with it later. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know, <laughs> if one of you looks away, well, maybe we'll we'll improv imagine, some stuff there. Imagine how much unused footage oh, there would God, have to be, be amazing to just cobble together a film in that manner. Yeah, and this is at a time when film was expensive. Although <laughs> yeah. he did, it is you know it is black and white, so it's slightly cheaper. But yeah, but still, it's not like we're shooting on video. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not like oh, I'll just erase it. Nope, nope, it's set in stone now. I'm fucking stuck with that shit. 
that eight hours of a cardinal sitting of an old man sitting in a sauna kvitzing yeah that that's all on it's all on film now so <laughs> yeah um uh I still love how the writer the writer's like his conscious conscience through the yeah it, it it is it is um, Fellini's own artistic doubt of himself yeah yeah uh and in that regard it's you know it's it's what what in what a critic would say you know we mentioned you know anticipating those criticisms does not necessarily make those criticisms any less valid no um, because you know well the times where he just says what the hell's going on and then at the end at the end um, telling telling him he made the right choices um, yeah, yeah yeah which is which is gets into that sort of weird like Fellini trying to convince himself that like I made it. I, I I did okay yeah like but that's that's the thing though right like anticipating usually doesn't buy you out yeah. of your mistakes but I think it does when you're making a parody of yourself yeah it's the one it's one of those weird golden situations where no in this one situation acknowledging your flaws in a movie that's supposed to make fun of you automatically gives you an out. Well, well, yeah, and in the same... If this were yeah. about... If this were Fellini making it about somebody else who's not himself, then he couldn't buy his way out with that. But since well, it even, is a parody of himself... Even making it about himself, it doesn't buy him an out, you know? There's no... Well, I mean... Recognizing, yeah. recognizing your own personal faults and still doing nothing about them doesn't there's right, no but except for when your movie is about those faults <laughs> yeah, there's no uh but there's no there's no validation there's no there's no uh there's no repentance in just acknowledging that you're a bad person no there's you not know? but it's also not a movie about repentance no no it's not it's not it's not meant to be but but i think part of that you know as as much as as guido recognizes his his terribleness. He still wants to be accepted for who he is instead of <coughs> trying to change. Um, right. I mean, Guido pines away at like how he imagines the universe ought to treat him and how he ought to be. But yeah. but at the same time, Fellini talking about that is like and making a movie about that is like one extra step beyond just self acknowledgement. Yeah. He's not trying to improve himself, that's obvious. But he is saying that like I have serious flaws and you know, he also acknowledges the fact that like he should change them. I don't know. It's it's just I there's a there's not a way to get ourselves out of this mess. Yeah. Because he, I don't in this situation feel like we're in that we're we're in a problem where like oh he acknowledged it so he's 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 out of it, but that would require him to be making this film as a sort of penance and it's not. Yeah, it's a biography, and as a biography, it, it doesn't need to demonstrate motive towards personal growth. Like, you know, in that sense, like, if you make a, an autobiography, or if you make a biography about, like, whoever, insert famous figure here, 
you're not expecting that figure to suddenly have a glorious revelation halfway through and suddenly change his life because that's not it's not real and, and in this in that situation I think Fellini is trying to tell a real story to a certain extent about himself yeah so I don't know it's just movie's weird <laughs> it's beautiful it is amazing I love it it is super duper weird I, it fits into a category of movies that I love and I want to own, but I will never yeah. ever make anybody else watch <laughs> because I don't know what I don't know who the intended audience is. Yeah, like I, if I ever find somebody who, I imagine I'll know that person when I meet them. Well, I think I think the intended audience uh, is in a way other other creatives. Yeah, um, I think so too. It's it's fascinating. There, which is one of the critiques that I found online, which I can't argue with exactly, yeah. is that this is a movie for movie people who are into making movies. I think it goes a little bit broader than that. I think it's a movie well, I, for I, anybody who has ever tried to put pen yeah. to paper or anything else and fucking failed. I do think or it was, succeeded accidentally. I th- I think it's interesting in that regard, though, that this movie was originally about a writer, and he just couldn't get it right because he's not a writer. Right, but I <laughs> so he decided. To, yeah, but I think uh, I think the uh, if there's lessons learned. I think those lessons are applicable to to anyone creating art, and and the uh, just the maelstrom of of art and life. Um, you know, the people yeah you can know, argue about writing what you know or doing the research to to write outside yourself and and writing outside yourself. Uh, you know, they're two different ideas, and they both have their their own sort of pros and cons. But you're never truly writing outside yourself, right? And then, yes, this movie is about that, right? I mean, if, if yeah. among other things, it's about is yes, even when you do all the research and you try to write outside yourself, you're still not doing that thing. And even when you try to make a sci-fi movie about fifteen thousand people uh, on an ark traveling through space because Earth has been destroyed. Uh, you're still wanting to make it deal with your own problems with the Catholic Church, and, right, and somehow right, exactly. manufacture manufacture this scene where your main character uh, meets with a cardinal. No matter how impossible it would be that your main character would actually run into a cardinal at the place where he's at. Um, right. Yeah. Well. Exactly. Yeah. And, and but you know, and and Flea is giving a very extreme example because yeah. Like part of the beauty of these kind of these kind of pieces of art is that sort of crank it to eleven, make sure everybody knows exactly what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I mean, that's yeah. I mean, just go look at any piece of uh, science fiction is a really good demonstrator of this. So is fantasy, in the sense of oh, we're in some mythical realm, uh, you know, at some mythical time, and like dumb shit that happens every day is occurring that probably has no reason to happen. Like, you know. We're in some mythical... Yeah. yeah. We're in some mythical place and time where the presiding political ideals are, interestingly, exactly what the author uh, believes would be the perfect... uh... And or the one he struggles against. It's just, you know, it's just the way it is, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and, and that's bound to happen, and Acknowledging it, you know, is part of it, right? It's part of the creative process. Yeah. 
which I'm bad at. It... So. <laughs> ah, everyone's bad at Pat. Yeah, but other, some people are worse than others. Um, yeah, so no, I, it's just kind of um, yeah, it's just a perfect. It's just it's just perfect, Adam. <laughs> it really is. I really, really enjoyed it. Again, some of the parts I didn't love just because, you know, sometimes Guido is so, and I know this is on purpose, so unlikable. Yeah. That sometimes it's hard for me to keep watching Guido when I don't like him. But luckily the movie's pacing is such that I don't have to spend, those moments are not that long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it really is great. Uh, well, and I think we could probably pull this to a close. Yeah, we probably uh, should because we're just going to start. We've already been for about the last five minutes just talking about how much we like it. I suppose which is a bad idea. <laughs> I think I think one of the weakest the weakest parts uh, with me and you is uh, is talking about cinematography as if we know what we're oh, talking about. I don't know about. shit about shit, man. Uh, it's it's interesting to say. Uh, it's one of those, you know. I, I know good. <laughs> I know it's good when I see it. Um, right. It's you know. It's it's. It's very good here. Everything. There's a lot of iconic shots and iconic scenes. The the whole, the whole, you, sauna, oh, the whole ahead, sauna. The whole sauna scene is sort of a stand-in for uh, for uh, an inferno esque descent into hell, and then he meets he meets the cardinal at the bottom. Um, right. It's, it's fascinating too, but uh, but you know just just the shots, like the point of view shot at the very you know close to the start, the point of view shot of his leg, uh, you know as he's as he's you know thirty yards in the air, um, that whole flying scene with the rope coming. Down. That's pretty cool. And, and, you know that's that's an iconic enough shot that it's also the cover of the film. So <laughs> right, and, and you know. But that's the thing, right? Like, I kind of feel like we miss the boat when we purposely try to talk about cinematography, be- yeah. because we talk about the the music in the film, and we don't get like anxious about the fact that we can just categorically <laughs> say, "Hey, I really enjoyed that music." Like, we don't have Maybe to dig true. into it. And and is one form of expression any more meaningful or less than the other? I mean, music is I- I think- infinitely complex. Yes, and and, and we so are, and we feel and we feel so able to offhand and be like yeah it's fucking great i loved it but then like cinematography we got to be like well you know that one you know what i mean like we got to pretend let's just like play to our strengths and be like you know what i like the cinematography i didn't like this i like the cinematography too the whole thing the whole thing you know music uh visuals lighting they all everything together comes together well. everything plays together to to create the mood and the and 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 what they want to do it all works yes and we'll leave it does. at that without Sounding any more pseudo intellectual than we already do, and uh, yeah, we'll go with that. So, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. This week we were talking about Eight and a Half, Federico Fellini's 1963 film that uh, is brilliant and and crazy. You should watch it. You probably already have. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I'd hope you already have. But that's not. I don't know how people do this. I listen. To, I, I watch that one show, or I listen to that one podcast. How did this get made? And I've never yeah. seen almost any of the films they talk about. Okay, I actually yeah. prefer to imagine the films based on their descriptions. Because <laughs> I'm a fucking weirdo, good. Adam. You are. You are. You are very weird. Oh, man. Just saying. So, anyway, next week, next week we were talking about uh, 
Marcel Carnet's uh, Children of Paradise, a French film from 1945 um, that I know nothing about, and I know nothing no. about Carnet. So. And I like the fact that you're not, you know, you, you possibly didn't even prepare for this outro. <laughs> of course so you're not. Like, I don't even I... know enough to say anything about it. Who made this film? What's going on? Why would I ever prepare for an outro? I don't know. I always got the impression you knew the dates and the times and stuff ahead of time. No, I'm just reading it straight off the, straight off the you criteria. You can do that. List. You can talk and read at the same time. I can talk and read at the same time. It's fascinating. You're like a superhero. I can even read without moving my lips. No, you can't. Don't lie. In lesser times, I'd be burned at the stake for that. Yes, yes you would have. But not if you could cry on command. <laughs> not if I could cry on command. Ah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. listening to Lost in Criterion, a production of withtwobrains.com, hosted by Pat Dorgan and The Adam Glass, who also edits it down. Jonathan Hape did the music. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com. Look for us on iTunes, or reach out to us at facebook.com slash lostincriterion, or lostincriterion at gmail.com.